they do not consume information in a normal way. Uh, I don't know, something is broken in Russia for sure. Sometimes things are written in exactly the opposite way from what they are. Like, you know, when something happens and a particular newspaper or media outlet says that that is that and that, it means that it's quite the opposite. And uh, America is not charming at all, but... Howdy folks, welcome to another episode of The Russia Guy, a podcast where I, Kevin Rothrock, talk to movers and shakers in Russia-focused journalism, academia, and activism. If you've never heard this show before, welcome. Interviews here deal with views on trending news stories, the overarching themes of Russia watching, and the ins and outs of life as a professional in this field. This show is supported by listeners like you at patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock. Thank you, everyone already contributing. My guest today is well-known in Russia to Echo of Moscow listeners and readers, and English speakers might know her as a contributing writer at The American Interest, where some of her latest articles address Russia's captured Ukrainian soldiers, the arrest of American investor Michael Calvay in Moscow, and a whole lot more. Please welcome to The Russia Guy, Karina Arlova. So what's today's interview about? Karina talks about how Russia's corrupt legal system drove her to journalism. She describes her life as a Russian journalist living in Washington, D.C., and argues at length how the Republican Party is a threat to American democracy. And I asked her how she manages to write about insider Russian politics from thousands of miles away. All that and more in the interview. Now, here it is. I write very fast, so it, it's not that I have to force myself to sit down and write something down and to, you know, to think of something. It's usually already there in my head. It pours out of you. Yeah, absolutely pours out. Yeah, you can you can tell. Yeah, pours out. Sometimes it pours out in a way that I don't want it. For instance, when when you talk about controversial blog posts that I write or have written. You probably mean the one, at least the one about Maria Butina. Sure, that's one of them. Sure, that's one. Uh, but the, the thing about that one is that I didn't want, didn't intend this post that I posted on my Facebook profile to be reposted on Echo's website. They did it without without asking me, without my consent. But of course, I you know I work for Echo. They can take whatever. But I didn't even think that they would take this post and put put it on their website. So it didn't even occur to me. I was sure they would never do that, but they did. I mean, okay, okay. So yeah, so yeah, uh, this post is about uh, Maria Butina again. What do you think about Maria Butina, by the way? Is she a, is she the killer spy that everyone says? No, she's not a spy because she didn't she didn't go undercover. So she was a spy is someone who acts uh, uh, undercover, right? She was is an agent, right? And agent uh, acting in the interest of the Russian government, uh, in the interest of Vlad uh, Alexander Torshin, former, as of now, central bank d- deputy director. The, the thing about me is that you can always know what I think about people by just reading my posts. It's not that, you know, I write one thing and I think another thing. No, it's just, it's it's all out there. Uh, so what I think that she's a, she's a very, you know, she's that kind of person who could not apparently succeed anywhere else 
in her life. She wasn't a successful student, I think, even though... I thought she had like a whole business chain, didn't she? Business chain like of what? furniture stores oh, or whatever? I didn't know about that. Furniture stores. Yeah, probably that's her place in life, you know, furniture stores. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. But, you know, there's this scandal. I'm, I'm referring now to a piece, uh, uh, a report by Rosalind Helderman, right, in the Washington Post. So they, you know, talked to the students that went to the same university here in Washington with Maria Budina. So they described her as a person very very you know passionate about uh, Putin and she always expressed her love to Putin and she would you know she would go to this uh, KGB run or whatever Russia house uh, whatever this is bar strip club I don't know what this is I've never been and she would buy you know her friends vodka and um, you know praise Putin she even had a case on her phone with Putin's image on it I mean what kind of person would do that I mean Really, it's it's so nasty. Nasty. She's a nasty woman. She is absolutely. So she has a bad taste, really. And uh, yeah, yeah. The, the image of Putin, of course, on her um, phone case was a uh, topless. That famous uh, topless Vladimir Putin, right? So this woman is tasteless. That's one. Uh, second. So um, she. I mean, honestly, you know, jokes aside, and I. I Few people know that before coming to the United States, she actually promoted and advocated uh, for uh, the war in Donbas. So she spoke at a rally in Moscow in support of the war in Donbas. It was probably 2015, something like that. And she promoted, you know, seriously, she promoted um, criminal behavior by Russia. She promoted war. She promoted killing and blood and all that stuff. So apart from being, you know, just a joke, because she's a joke, uh, you know, some just um, very, very ungifted, untalented girl didn't, you know, she, she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, she couldn't succeed anywhere except for sleeping with an aged Republican, oh my God, operative, like a, a Paul, who's his name, Paul Erickson, right? It says, how low should a person, you know, fall to do that? It's, it's just disgusting, even though that's what spies do. But apart from being, you know, miserable in, in, in this sense, she is actually an evil person who really supports Putin's criminal activities around the world and promotes them. And she also, she traveled, I think she did travel to uh, Sevastopol, Crimea's um, capital, after the Crimea annexation, because she, there is a blog post on her uh, life journal where she says that, well, we're here to promote guns, blah, blah, blah. And I also wonder why Americans would issue her a visa, because it is prohibited to go to Crimea from Russia, which she did. So that's, you know, um, another another story. So, but, so when this Budna story broke, everyone, you know, a lot of my friends would ask me here in Washington, like, you know, listen, uh, but why, why would Russians send such a bad looking woman? I mean, she, and th- that's what they asked me. That's what they said, that those are not my words. Uh, and when, you know, when there were too many of, of, of the people who asked me that, I just decided, you know, to write about it. Like, listen, people, there's a real question, real serious question. Why would Russians send such a bad-looking woman as Maria Budna to spy or do whatever she did here? 
And my conclusion was and is, is that uh, it's only in the movies that, you know, spies uh, look like Pierce Brosnan or Olga Kurilenka. But in real life, spies do look like Maria Butina and Petrov and Bashir of the Skripal Poisoners. Especially in the FSB. I mean, who would go to work for the FSB, for God's sake? It's the worst people, the worst. I I even know a, a, a guy, I mean... He's a he's a son. He's the son of a of my mother's, you know, um, friend from the past. So um, he could not enter any other university, decent university, including high school of economics, the university I graduated. And then he submitted his marks to the FSB Academy, and he was accepted. Which means that only the worst people. Are accepted. But you don't think Butina is a FSB spy person? I mean, no, no, no. She is, apparently. But she's not a spy. She's an agent. That's just a little difference. Yeah, of course, she worked closely with the FSB. And we know that from the from, from her indictment. Uh, there were emails between her and people from the FSB. She met with um, a guy from uh, the Russian embassy who uh, is, you know... Supposed, I guess. So they 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 think that he he's um, uh, actually a FSB or whatever. So he's not a, a diplomat. So yeah, no, that's for sure. I mean, no doubt in that. So this this post, this controversial post, it started when basically you had a lot of friends writing you with this question, and they came to you presumably because you're there in D.C. You're following American politics, and I wonder. How do you imagine your brand? My brand. Yeah, like you're, are you a conduit for all of Russia's questions and curiosities and suspicions about American politics? Is that how you approach your job? And whether it is or isn't, like, how do you view yourself as a sort of opinion figure? If someone had to had to generalize you to somebody else and say, well, what's Karina or Love all about? They would tell you I'm all about being anti-Trump and I'm always trashed uh, for that on Echo's comments section. You know, I'm not a, a reporter, like classical reporter. I don't go to the field, you know, and do, do reports. I just, yeah, I'm a columnist, an opinion maker, an maybe in, too. An influencer or something? Or? An influencer, yeah. I, I am a journalist. I don't have enough resources, you know, to just produce real reports. And I don't think it's needed to be done because there is the New York Times, there's the Washington Post. They have a lot of money and resources. They do their job perfectly. What Russian audience really needs, I think, is a opinion, but unbiased opinion. Because as you might know, almost all of Russian liberals, those who are considered liberals in Russia, usually they're older than I am. I'm 33. So they are very Republican and kind of pro-Trump, you know, too. You know, kind of. They, I, didn't, I, I mean... <laughs> They are apologetic uh, of him, I think. I, I would I would call it like that. So, and they're very, very uh, biased in that sense. But I'm younger. I have no connection whatsoever with the Soviet Union or the Soviet system of the Komsomol, uh, the party, the Communist Party, whatever. So I think Russian audience needs to hear what really is going on here. And uh, unfortunately... I, uh, what do you think is going on? You're American. You tell me. Well, I mean, I, I, you, you follow American politics a lot more than, oh, no, no. than I do. In fact, in fact, I feel like 
whenever we correspond, you sometimes will ask me what I think about something that I, and I haven't even heard of it. It's some major American political event, and I'm like, I, you know, I don't... But you, you have heard probably that Donald Trump um, uh, is, uh, has become president, right? Yeah, he got elected, what was that, a couple of years ago. What do you think is going to happen in 2020? What do you think of Michael Cohen's statement that there will be no peaceful transition of power, even if Trump loses in 2020? Uh, hopefully that's not true, right? That doesn't sound very good. Oh, it's not about true and untrue, you know? It's an opinion. It's just... Hopefully it's wrong. <laughs> hopefully that's not what happens, right? So we know that Donald Trump is investigated by Mueller and other attorneys, right? And collusion or not, proven or not, we know that there have been crimes, probably, most probably. Taxes, all that stuff, finances. Well, what's it like for you as a as a Russian person watching all of this unfold in the United States? Because, I mean, setting aside, you know, whether Donald Trump should be strung up or whatever... There's the the Russia Gate scandal is is bigger than just did Donald Trump commit a crime. It's expanded into kind of a wider fear of Russian influence and aggression, and you know Americans, especially anti-Trump Americans now. I mean, you know this better than I do, but I would assume that if you introduce yourself as a Russian person with a Russian accent and you express an interest in American politics, if you take ten Americans, a good number of them will raise an eyebrow. They'll be suspicious because they now view... They are, yeah, so every what's time. The... I have to explain myself every time. Yes, I am Russian. I am a journalist. Oh, 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 yeah, you work for RT. I was asked yesterday by a man I talked to, right? I was, no, and every time I have to explain myself. But you know what? Next time I'll just tell them, whoever asks me that, I'll tell them, well, you know what? It's almost... It's become almost, you know, the same as for Americans to explain themselves to foreigners that, no, I'm not a Trumpist. No, I don't belong to the Republican Party, unfortunately, for, for this great country, truly great country. So, yeah. Americans are more interested now in stories about, in stories where Russia is a word that appears in the headline. I'm not going to go so far as to say they're interested in Russia, because that would imply that they want to know about in, internal things and so on. I don't find that to be the case. But Russia is more of a hot word these days. And, you know, you're there in D.C. Do you, are you kind of, like, do you feel like the Americans are seeing things about Russia that Russians don't see, and then the Americans are, they've got this benefit of, of distance that's giving them better insights into certain things, or you do think Americans are being complete fools, or like you know, what's what's your take on? I don't think I don't think that Americans are being complete fools or fools at all. I really um, I was very cheerful of their attack on Russia's troll factory that we know of from the Washington Post report, and I really I, I really think this is what needs to be done to Russia, and probably there's been you know more stuff. So Russia is is dangerous to America and to the world. But at least, you know, everyone, both the Democrats and Republicans, acknowledge this threat. Not all of the Republicans, but most of them. And we have sanctions and we have almost unanimously passed bills against Russia uh, that mean to contain Russia. And in this sense, it's easy, right, to confront your enemy when you know who that is, you know what they do so on. 
But what I think Americans are missing right now is the threat that is posed by the Republican Party. So Russia did influence, and we don't know how successfully, but they did do this. They tried to influence American voters and to park those racial tensions and all that stuff, dirty things, you know, anti-Clinton rallies and all that stuff. But Russians did not invent Newt Gingrich. They did not invent Mitch McConnell. The only reason of existence of the Republican Party now looks like, you know, seems to be to, to whitewash and to defend Donald Trump at all costs. Russia is a weak enemy, honestly. They don't have that much money, for instance, as the Chinese do. They're not very sophisticated in technology. Corruption does its thing. So, as Navalny once said, на каждый спиженный рубль в России приходится пять проебанных. It's like for every stolen rubble in Russia, there are five screwed up, like wasted. Just look at what happened in Syria when... 200, I guess, uh, missionaries, uh, the soldiers of the private military company Wagner were killed by, were destroyed by American drones. So that's very, very uh, telling of what Russia can do and cannot and what Americans can and, and they can do anything to Russia. But when Russia is, when Russia is won over, when it's defeated, and, and it will be one day, what do you do with the Republican Party? When there is no Russia, no, no other boogeyman. So I think that's the main threat to, to, to America right now. And that's why I actually ask you, what do you think of this coin suggestion that even if Trump loses in 2020, there will be no peaceful transition of power. And I'll tell you what, you should really watch coins. Um, yeah, I mean, it's seven hours almost. You will not do that, I know. But I'd recommend the first 30 minutes of questioning after coins opening statement and some highlights lights there um, you can uh, for sure find them on now this and other media outlets so just watch it watch how republicans act and ask yourself what happens if oh really what happens if trump doesn't want to leave the office and why would he because if there are crimes and he's investigated if there are crimes and even if a, an acting president cannot be indicted a former president sure <laughs> can be. So what happens? What happens then? Why would Trump want to leave? Um, let me bring this back to you, because I want to, I want to know more about how you got into this line of work. Because a lot of what these interviews I do on my podcast are, are about like how journalists and scholars like get into working on what they do. And I'm curious, how did you start journalism? Why journalism? Why? Because you used to be with Doors, and you've been with echo for a long time and you know, like what brought you to this line of work it was a total accident because i graduated law school in russia with diploma with honor by the way one of the best universities in russia and i so really you could go to, you, can you practice you could like go to law no i russia. can't no oh, okay. <laughs> no that's the thing i really wanted to be a court lawyer i don't know how to a court lawyer probably right a trial trial lawyer in civil cases that was my dream but then and i never never ever wanted to be a corporate lawyer so to me, that's a no-no. But then my older friends who had graduated before and who had been lawyers already t explained me that a good lawyer, like a trial lawyer in Russia, is the one who knows how to properly bribe a judge. 
where um, specifically where to bring a suitcase full of cash. And I was very, very disappointed. And <laughs> I didn't want to do that. And I decided that I... So there, there was no... I mean, there was no room for me as a lawyer in Russia left. And I didn't want to be a corporate lawyer and I couldn't be a trial lawyer. So I was, um, after I graduated, I was looking for a job and there was an opening at a, oh my God, it, it was a, a startup, like a private TV channel called Expert. There is a magazine expert it's very pro-putin now very pro-kremlin but this channel had nothing to do with politics this was like a business channel and that was an opening for a person so i applied and they they accepted me i didn't know anything about i couldn't you know i couldn't make a difference between Derry pasca and vexelberg and uh, that was really really important at that time but they accepted me and i worked there for a year and a half then i left because it was boring and I then started working for Commerzant uh, radio station. It was also a startup. When I joined Commerzant, um, it was not on air yet, but then they started broadcasting. Yeah, they launched and I was um, just an editor, you know, who wrote news for radio hosts. But then I left Commerzant because there was no, no room for me to grow. Um, no career opportunities. And I was bored. And then I... I went to Dorscht, a privately owned TV channel, uh, Moscow-based, um, independent. So I worked there for three years and then I left Dorscht. No, while I was working in Dorscht, I also joined Echo, so I had two jobs. And then I left Dorscht for Echo. And then I left Russia. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm still with Echo Moscow. So it was a total accident, but I really, apparently I really love my job because I love and hate it because it was a terrible job for an independent journalist in Russia because there was Dorscht, there is Dorscht, there's Echo, and Echo has the lowest salaries on the market, the lowest. It's like, it's just embarrassing. And the Echo's chief editor, Alexey Venediktov, always says, well, why would I pay more? There's a line of people willing to work for Echo. And it's like, uh-huh, yeah. So uh, after 2011, 2012, after those Moscow protests, which I attended both as a journalist and as a participant, and we were really excited at that time, but then it put and shut it down, it ended, yes. And things have gotten worse since then really really worse uh, what so yeah so that was war and are an independent journalist like a person who just wants to do their job honestly you won't get you know money enough money to just live a good life because in america you know star journalists or like good journalists they're really well paid in russia that's not the case the only well-paid journalists are those who work for the propaganda so how do you go about writing your American interest columns? Because those, they're not at all like your Facebook posts. Like you said, you're an insider. They're like strict criminology almost. Well, it's not criminology, I would say, but, you know, I try to, yeah, to avoid that. But yeah, I'm just, of course, it's totally different. It's a normal journalism, right? What I do. So because Americans need that and Russians need just something different. Because really, in Russia, I mean, just Kevin, so... 
just imagine how how painful it is for me when I wrote those long, really long, detailed reports about the Mueller investigation. It was really, really detailed. It took me like five hours to produce one piece in Russian, in Russian, and it was really, really detailed. And you know, people would write uh, write to me and praising it, saying, "Well, thank you so much. It's you know, I know so much now, and it's so detailed." But there would be like. 20,000 views on Echo's website for that piece. And it's like, it's a shame, you know. And when I write something really, really, something like what I wrote about Maria Putin, it would hit like 200,000 views. So apparently Russians need something different than Americans do. So yeah, so I am actually a normal journalist, but... Um, you can call me an opportunist um, from journalism, but that's that's what I am. You know, I need my audience, and if because I think that no, let me put it this way: I think that in order to deliver information to to the Russians, you need to have a special like a special cover. They do not consume information in a normal way. Uh, I don't know; something is broken in Russia for sure. I hope readers will go check out your work for the American interest, and I'm wondering. Is there one article you've written for them that you would recommend above others? Sure. I would recommend two. One is about, um, it's a very, you know, it's almost a sketch, you know, an op-ed, it's a column, very satirical, on the arrest of, of an acting senator in Russia. And I compare it to the Death of Stalin movie. And the second one is a, actually a piece on an essay by Vladislav Surkov, an essay widely discussed among Americans and unfortunately taken seriously by some of them. And this piece I explain in detail why Surkov's graphomaniac opus must not be taken seriously. Ever. And what's the what's the gist of why? Well, because he's a clown. That's that's for once. And because this essay is written for exactly one reader, Vladimir Putin. It doesn't make any sense. It is so stupid. I mean, I, I, I think Margarita Simonyan would have done a better job of explaining, you know, Russians, uh, Russia's ideology. So I'm not saying that Surkov is incapable of writing a serious essay, but this one. <laughs> is is just a joke and it should be taken as a joke so if it's written for putin but it's also is it a joke for putin then is it meant to give him a chuckle then or no for putin it's very serious it's like, kevin it's like fox news and trump and you know there's a great jo joke actually i heard from bill meyer he says that well at least in russia it's a proper dictatorship when Putin tells his uh, TV channels what to say. In America, it's vice versa. It's Fox News telling President Trump what to do and say. It, it is a channel of communication. Yeah, because Putin is a very, he's very obsessed with his security. He doesn't allow many people to interact with him. And so sometimes they choose such bizarre ways of communicating with him as writing silly essays. I mean, how do you come to these conclusions? Because you're, you're, you're writing from Washington, and I'm curious, is it is it like sources that you're obviously not going to reveal here, but like, is it that you meet with people and you stay informed kind of in private channels, or are you merely reading the news carefully and drawing your own conclusions as a sort of 
informed, intelligent person? Like, what's your methodology? Well, it depends on uh, w w which topic I'm writing about, right? So when it's Surkov's essay, I don't need an insider or a source to tell me what it is because it screams about what it is. You just need to be able to read in Russian. That's it. And yes, I provide some insight about Surkov and, you know, how he tries... He, He actually has charmed his way into liberal, you know, this liberal Tusovka or whatever, uh, liberals, Moscow liberals. But when I write about some serious stuff like the Siloviki fight with each other, yes, I do have my sources. I, I talk to people. And yes, you should also read newspapers in Russia. Sometimes you just need to read them. It's, it's really bizarre because sometimes things are written in exactly the opposite way from what they are. Like, you know, when something happens and a particular newspaper or media outlet says that that is that and that, it means that it's quite the opposite. So it's, it's really complicated, but you can, you know, find some pieces of information here and there, as well as you can find a lot of information just by reading the New York Times and the Washington Post, really. If you're a Russian, if you want to know what's going on in America, just read, read carefully, read a lot of news. And yes, it's better to live in America because, you know... America is a very, very peculiar country. It's, um, there is nothing er, like it on earth. It's, it's, yeah, it, it is a unique country. Why, is, why do you think it's so unique? Well, when you end up in America, you might not even love it, you know, like love it. As for instance, I truly miss Europe. I never, never miss Russia, for the record. But I, I, I love Europe because I'm, you know, I, f I identify myself as a European because I spent a lot of time in Europe, traveled there. And uh, America is not charming at all. But uh, yeah, I mean, but you cannot when you when you live here. I just. I cannot imagine myself living anywhere else now because America is something that is a country that makes you stay here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> what about all the like guns and drugs? And oh no, that's for oh, drugs. There are drugs everywhere, right? Guns. What is about the like ra racial ghettoization of cities? Everybody's like segregated. You know, self-segregated. I don't mean there's like fences and stuff, but most American cities have racialized ghettos. Like that seems to be an American thing. Really? I don't know. What do you mean, really? Like, isn't that the case for the most part? For, for Washington D.C. Yeah. No, aren't there like the neighborhoods? Uh, yeah. But. Yeah. There's gentrification. Well, yes, there's gentrification going on. Yeah. Then when poor, when the poor are pushing away. Most a lot, a lot of the Russians I've spoken to that visit the United States, they, like Alexei Kovalev, he came on my podcast and he did like a big nationwide tour and his least favorite place is, was San Francisco, which is my hometown. So I was des devastated to hear that. But the thing that struck him... It's a horrible place, Kevin, that's true. No, it's the best. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, San Francisco is a beautiful city, but too many homeless people. Well, that's what he and couldn't I, get over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's, but unlike in D.C., there are a lot of homeless people in D.C., but they're totally, totally... Um, not as aggressive. No, they're not aggressive. And they're not... They don't get in your face. Yes, yeah. they, they would not attack you. In San Francisco, there's like junkies, crazy people, I don't know. I, maybe you have to, you know, to get used to it. But... Well, they're also, they're in the bad neighborhoods. Like, you don't... No, you they're right in the city center around the... Yeah, that's where the bad neighborhoods oh, it's in the sorry. center <laughs> usually that's not the case you gotta go to the coastline ah, yeah. 
sorry. It's nicer there. Yeah. Um, okay. The pier, you know, <laughs> and the Presidio, anyway. <laughs> That's my interview with Karina Orlova, a contributing writer at the American Interest and the Washington, D.C. correspondent for Echo of Moscow. You can find the two American Interest articles she mentioned on today's show in the description of this podcast episode. A reminder that this podcast is supported by listeners like you at patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock. Thank you, everybody already contributing. Fans and critics are invited to hit me up on Twitter with feedback, by the way. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Говорят мы пяки буки, как выносит на земля. Дайте что ли карты в руки, погадать на короля. Ой ля ля, ой ля ля, погадай на короля. Ой ля ля, ой ля ля, эхо! Завтра дальняя дорога выпадает королю. У него деньжонок много, а я денежки люблю. Ой-ой-ой-ой!